0: Welcome to episode six of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to junior and pro articles written to keep the hockey community up-to-date on all the happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name's Tim Sullivan. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. We are adding a different element to the Digest with interviews and other such content, bringing voices, names, faces to interesting people making the Ohio community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the Toledo Walleye. Walleye game plans... Puts you so close to the action, you'll have to remember you don't have the skates on. If you are a true fanatic, get it, Jay, fanatic, nothing beats a Toledo Walleye game plan for family-friendly, fast-action fun. A great way to spend winter. Choose from multiple options or build your own. Call 419-725-9255 or visit toledowalley.com for more information. We would like to thank both Shauna Conway from Gilmore Academy and Trent Vogelhuber from the Cleveland Monsters for stopping by last week. It was a really, really good interview with both those hockey-minded people last week uh, to where we got to learn a lot more about the the women's game here, not only in Cleveland, not only in the state of Ohio, but internationally with with where Shauna was and her playing and her coaching. And I really, really enjoyed learning more about uh, where she's taken the, the women's game in the state of Ohio and then catching up with uh, coach Vogel, from the Mount, uh, from the monsters, you know, understanding his role being from uh, Columbus, his role moving all the way up to the uh, AHL playing and now coaching there was a great opportunity to talk to coach.
1: It was cool because uh, for, for myself, I don't get a chance to see a lot of the women's game and to hear shauna's exuberance for the game obviously having played it at such a high level taking her all across the world and and what she's trying to do in ohio of keeping players providing a place for players to play keeping them in our state keeping them playing it's it's awesome it's awesome to hear and and it's just another example of somebody growing the game somebody growing the game for the for the for the best possible way and then to get to talk to trent and as you said uh his his path to pro hockey uh, being from Dublin and Miami, and ended up playing here in Cleveland. Now coaching here in Cleveland, it was. Uh, you could hear the excitement in his voice when he spoke about the parade and and the different parties that happened, which obviously comes when you win the Calder Cup. So it was cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. This week we're going to stay in the pro game. Uh, we're very fortunate that we have Toledo Walleye uh, head coach Dan Watson stopping by. We're also going to be talking with the head of IM Skills and the director of Neutral Zone NHL uh, and Neutral Zone Amateur Scouting Service, a 15-year NHL veteran, Ian Moran. Ian played for the Pittsburgh Penguins and the uh, Boston Bruins and some other teams. I'm super excited to get both these guys uh, on and talk to them. Uh, Two great guys. We're excited and fortunate to have them join us. But before we get to the interviews, let's catch up with uh, the boys right here. Uh, What's good with you guys?
1: Well, not, uh, things are starting to open up. Uh, last week, I know we spoke about I went back to work, which was nice. Um, and then right when I go back to work, the weather uh, takes a turn back to back toward winter here in Ohio. Our, our second season, summer and winter. And we got a little taste of that summer. Now we're back to winter. But uh, other than that, status quo, man, just uh, waiting for things to open up. It seems like things are starting to loosen a little bit, a uh, little bit more availability to, to do more things coming up here a, and get outside and get into venues and all that crap. So things are on the up and up, I suppose. We keep, the, keep us, as our friend Christian says, stay positive, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. He always stays, stays positive. Well, he's in 99 degree weather down in California, so he's got a lot to be positive about. Well, did, 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 you,
1: see, did you see him? Last, he sends that picture. He's all tanned up. You know, he's got a sweat going and we got snow on the ground
0: yeah i was, yeah, stay I was, stay
1: stay stay positive cap thanks
0: i was i was uh grilling in the snow the other day and he texted me and i t- i t- texted him a video of it and he texted me back a video of him in the pool uh going it's a little too warm for me to uh no I'm sorry he was in his car and he said, hey just think about this at least you have a built in freezer I was <laughs> like, <"Yeah, that's> funny. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: danny danny did you get the amusement park built yeah we got the uh bounce house going but then you know, Love said weather started to go to crap, so uh it was two days ago. He started jumping from the couch to the floor, back to the couch, so we're thinking about bringing the bounce house inside now,
1: <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs> you know, just whatever we got to do to survive right now and keep him entertained. That's, that's right. Well, I uh, I did not keep my word. Uh, I... I did cut my hair last week. I, I, know, I, I know I told everybody I was going to hold on and, and wait till the I was able to walk into a bar and have a beer and get some wings, but uh, the restaurants are opening here in the next week. I just kind of jumped the gun a week early. I had, had to get a cut. So before we get to the news, though, as always, uh, we'd like to thank all those nurses and doctors and first responders that are helping us out during this difficult time. Uh, things seem to be getting a little bit better, and hopefully they're getting a little bit better for those nurses and doctors and first responders. Uh, so again, from the Digest, we thank you. In some local Cleveland news, the Greater Cleveland High School Hockey League announced that their divisional alignment for next year. Among the notable changes, three-time defending Baron Cup 2 champion Amherst Steele moves up to the six-team Red Division to replace Cleveland Heights, which moves down to the White North. Parma moves up from the White South to join the Tigers in returning White North members Avon, Avon Lake, North Olmsted, and Olmsted Falls. In the blue division, the Brexville Broadview Heights Bs return to the ice after a season off. They will compete in the blue south. That's good. I'm glad to hear that they're getting their team back. To see the complete divisional lineup, you can go to www.ohiohockeydigest.com. The Greater Cleveland High School Hockey League will be entering its 50th season in 2020 and 2021. League president Ryan Kelber says the league has big plans for the season and the Baron Cup. We look forward to talking to Ryan on future episodes of the podcast
1: the Youngstown Phantoms added 10 prospects to the reserve list in phase one of the United States Hockey League draft on May 4th right wing Jack Larrigan of Shattuck St. Mary's U15 was their first pick sixth overall Larrigan, a 5'9 160 pound native of St. Louis and played for the St. Louis Blues Bantam AAA team as well as Christian Brothers High School before joining Shattuck this year youngstown went back to the AAA blues for their next pick as well grabbing six foot three 202 pound forward Tyler Catalano with the 21st overall selection here is phantom's GM Brad Patterson with more
2: leading into our phase one draft we really identified two key players for us that, that we we're hoping to, to get the opportunity to select with Jack Ervin and Tyler Catalano uh, with jack you have a dynamic dynamically fast forward uh, great hands Great scoring ability.
0: He, he's a threat every time he's on the ice. And we think that's going to be a, a huge compliment to our lineup moving forward. With Tyler Catalano, uh, a true scoring power forward. Uh, great scoring ability combined with the ability to play in, in the dirty areas of the ice. Um, as Kate would have it, they're, they're both from St. Louis and uh, ex teammates. Uh, we feel they're going to be big time players for us in the near future and truly looking forward to, to getting
3: them in the fantasy sweater.
1: There were two players with Ohio ties drafted by USHL clubs in Phase 1. Dublin native Nathan McBryer of the AAA Blue Jackets 15s went to the Muskegon Lumberjacks in the third round, 41st overall. Breyer's teammate, Will Elger of Westerville, was taken by the Tri-City Storm in the ninth round, 130th overall. Phase 1 of the draft is for futures players only, which are U-17 players for next year's season, 2004 birth years. Here is Ed Ginger of the AAA Blue Jackets with more.
2: Here's a note on Nate McBrayer, efficient, solid defenseman. Uh, He competes at an elite level, uh, natural leader. It's going to be fun to watch him, you know, continue to progress as a player. Uh, He just checks so many boxes of things. He does really, really well. And, uh, yeah, it's
1: just going to be fun to see him
2: advance to higher levels and see what a ceiling becomes.
1: Uh, Will Elger. High hockey IQ, great deception in his game. He's I think two or three days from being a 2005 born birth year, so he's a
2: late, late birth year for this draft. Um, just starting to, I think, see the the fruits of the work he's putting in, and he's got a bright, bright future uh, ahead of him. He's uh, he's definitely going to be fun to watch, and it'll be uh, it'll be fun to see.
0: A chance of the Cleveland Monsters returning to the ice this season went out the window on Monday as the American Hockey League president and chief executive officer David Andrews announced that the league's board of governors had voted to cancel the remainder of the 2019-2020 AHL regular season and the 2020 Calder Cup playoffs due to the ongoing COVID-19 public health crisis. The AHL standings, sorted by points percentage, and statistics as of March 12, 2020, are considered final and official and will serve as the basis for determining league awards for the 2019-2020 season.
1: Uh, We're getting multiple reports from multiple sources that we could have NHL hockey back by the end of June, early July. Uh, That is pending no further issues with the current pandemic. The regular season would be finished with 24 teams making the playoffs. Games would be played in neutral NHL cities, basically a 24-team tournament. Bowling Green ACHA coach Jake Rischel announced seven new recruits will be joining the Falcons for the 2020 2021 ACHA season. There were three from outside of the state Cole Bellinger from Kalamazoo, the Kalamazoo Eagles, Trent Gray from the Esmark Stars, and Adam Bertzlaff from the Florida Eels of the USPHL. Rischel is also excited to be bringing in four Ohio high school players to join the Falcons.
2: Coming to the team next fall, all from Ohio are Jake Shooty from Strongsville, uh, Luke Mallet from Rocky River, Harry Hall from Finley, and Jeff Wood from Spain, New All these guys can put uh, up points and play a great game, which is what we're looking for when building our team and culture. And uh, if you looked at the BGCAM on uh, BGSU's website, the Falcons, they've got a good nest and uh, foundation there, and that's what we're trying to do, build our nests and foundation.
0: The Toledo Cherokee dipped into the Ohio high school ranks again, signing Sylvania Northview defenseman Seth Arasco for the upcoming season. In 32 games as a senior, Arasco tallied four goals and added 26 assists for 30 points. Arasco and classmate Jimmy Roberts joined former Northview player goaltender Mason Snyder and defenseman Jake Rule as Cherokee signees for the 2020-2021 season. There continues to be a strong pipeline between Northview and the Cherokees which has had six Sylvania natives on their roster this past season. That's something we can talk about to Toledo head coach and general manager, Kenny Miller, when we have him on the podcast next. month.
1: The Springboro Athletic Department is excited to announce that Tony DeRosa will take over as head varsity hockey coach for the 2020-2021 season. DeRosa served as the assistant coach for the Springboro Panthers varsity hockey team during the 2019-2020 season. Prior to joining the Panthers coaching staff, he coached for more than 10 years with local club teams in the Dayton area, focusing on 10U and 14U age groups in head coach and assistant coaching roles. Good luck to Coach DeRosa and the Panthers.
0: The United States Premier Hockey League and its Tier 2 tuition-free National Collegiate Development Conference has announced its rescheduled dates for the 2020 Combine Series. The Chicago Combine will take place June 13th and 14th, and the Detroit Combine will take place June 25th and 26th. The Chicago Combine will be held at a newly announced location, the Midwest Training and Ice Center at 10600 White Oak Avenue in Dyer, Indiana. The Detroit Combine will remain at Fraser Hockey Land in Fraser, Michigan. Those who are already registered for the Combine remain on the list and do not have to re-register. There are still limited openings for each combine, but register today as these spots will fill up fast. Goaltender spots for both combines are filled, but goalies can request to be put on the wait list. Go to www.ohiohockeydigest.com for more information.
1: The University of Cincinnati Bearcats are looking for a new head coach. UC is a top-notch ACHA Division II program that has posted a 91-23 record, including 51-4 at home, and qualified for two national tournaments over the past four seasons. They have done this with mostly homegrown talent and boasted 19 Ohio natives on the 2019-2020 roster. The Bearcats are moving quickly and would like to have their new bench boss identified by June 1st. For more information, you can check out www.ucbearcathockey.com.
0: It's time for our first guest. Let's get on air with the head coach of the Toledo Walleye, Dan Watson. This segment of On Air is brought to you by the Toledo Walleye. In December 2014, a hockey rink was constructed at 5th Third Field. Over 50,000 people flooded downtown Toledo for a variety of unforgettable events during the original Winterfest celebration, including the first ever East Coast Hockey League game held outdoors. In December 2020, we're going bigger. 18 days, two walleye games, a fantastic New Year's Eve celebration, And much, much more. Don't miss Winterfest, December 17th, 2020 to January 3rd, 2021. Call 419-725-9255 or visit ToledoWallee.com. After four years in the Ontario Hockey League with the Sarnia Sting, he played in seven pro seasons, amassing 447 games, played between the East Coast Hockey League and the American Hockey League including two stints in Cleveland, one in Columbus, and then playing his final season with the Toledo Storm, then becoming a member of the coaching staff. He was the 2004-2005 East Coast Hockey League Defensive Player of the Year as a member of the Long Beach Ice Dogs. He took over as the head coach of the Toledo Walleye in 2016 and went on to win the East Coast Hockey League Coach of the Year that season. He led the Walleye to the Kelly Cup Finals in 2019 from Glencoe, Ontario. Let's welcome on-air head coach of the Toledo Walleye, Dan Watson. Welcome, Dan.
2: Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to
0: to this little chat we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think right out of the gate, you know, it's kind of uncertain times. And and before we even got to the interview going, we kind of talked about that uncertain time, Dan, Um, if you could just tell us, tell the viewers, the listeners, what, What's the state of the East Coast Hockey League right now? Well, I think
2: right now, uh, there's been a schedule that's been finalized, uh, um, you know, and and we're still conducting business as usual. That's been our message. It's been, you know, we have a a protected list coming up June 1st. Uh, There's another list that goes out June 15th, qualifying offers June 30th, and then we can start signing players uh, to our team June 16th. So as of right now, the message is business as usual, Uh, you know, just like this is a regular off season, get ready for October. That's when our season starts. So training camp and then into exhibition games and into regular season. But uh, so as of right now, the recruiting process is underway, um, you know, and just kind of doing all our summer projects and things like that. So uh, that's been the message so far. And I also think they're, they're waiting to see what happens with the NHL, with the American League. Uh, two leagues that we look up to and try to try to follow as closely as we can uh, as a league in the ECHL so uh, that's been the message so far
1: uh, Dan in, in the the East Coast League has always touted itself as a developmental league um, that wasn't necessarily the case roughly around 20 years ago or so guys weren't uh, di- weren't able to play their way up as e- I, I don't I say as easy as they can now but as fluid as they can now um, does it seem like the NHL is starting to embrace the two level model? For player development and make better use of their affiliate in the coast
2: no I think so I think that certainly in the past probably 10 years uh, definitely in the last five years NHL teams have used the ECHL or American teams have used the ECHL to to place their depth players to place their prospects that maybe need a little more seasoning what it takes to be a pro learn the pro game uh, all the ins and outs of the travel uh, the, the heavy schedules things like that so I think they're trusting it more. With that said, uh, the play has certainly gotten better. The pace of the game, the way it's played, uh, the quality of player has certainly gotten better in coaching. And so the again, the organizations too, they're they're a little more stable. Uh, we've got some good ownership groups uh, within the league, and and so when you when you put a product like that, that's going to attract those NHL teams and American League teams to want to become an affiliate. Uh, we've been very very lucky with Detroit over the past six seasons uh you know and, and grand rapids and and very very lucky to be a part of that and so i think the echl uh, teams look at it as is those players to come down they're going to get big minutes and whether it's power play whether it's uh an opportunity to play at the the last minute of a game a big game whether you're down a goal and they get on the ice whether it's playing its team's top lines they just want the the development of those players to be maybe a little more quick. Um, And now when they get to that American League, they've got the confidence, they've built that up, and they can go in there and step right in and hopefully play. And if you look, I think, you know, the numbers speak for themselves over the last five years of how many guys have made it from our league to the NHL. It's astounding. I know in our uh, 10-year history of the Toledo Walleye, we've had 22 guys play in the National Hockey League, which is astounding to me. So in a short amount of time, now you look at some other teams, the Wheeling Nailers have been around since the start of the ECHL, the South Carolina Stingrays have been around a long time. Those teams have put up multiple, multiple players. So uh, it's trending the right way. That's for sure. Our league has made great strides in the past five years and, and looking forward to them making even bigger strides.
0: You know, with, with the walleye being like a double-A team, if people are out there are baseball fans or whatever it may be, um, and you just, you just talked about the stand about the players getting the opportunity to get up to the next level, even the NHL. And it wasn't like that 15 years ago as easily, right? Um, being, you know, being affiliate and you guys are affiliate with the, with the Red Wings and, and Grand Rapids playing in the facility, like the Huntington center. And I, and I have to be, you and I have had conversations about, I'd love to see on the high school level. I'd love to see the high school state championship go there. What a beautiful facility, but you guys getting to play in that facility every day at the double A level. I mean, that's, that's got of, I mean, must make these players feel a little bit closer to the NHL.
2: Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, the facilities that are there, the way our organization is run from our president, our GM, uh, you know, the County owns us. So the board members there, the way they treat us and, and, and uh, all the resources that we have there, it, it's better than potentially some American League teams. Right. And so when the guys get sent down from Grand Rapids, they're, you know, at first they're, they're disappointed. They're being sent down, but then they get to the facility. They, they see what a game is like and what it's all about. And, and, uh, you know, our guys love it. They love playing in Toledo. They love being uh, part of the walleye and, and, uh, and there's that confidence allows them to get back up to that American league and be successful.
0: Right. Hey, I just have a question about, you said your ownership is the County. Uh, how many clubs in your, in your league, are owned by like in individual investors or like in investors like the county?
2: I would say the majority of them are owned by individual investors, um, you know, and, and those owners are trying to make some money or, or you know, whether it's a tax write-off, whatever the case may be, they're all different. Uh, right. We walked into to Lucas County owning us, and I can't say enough about the way that we've been treated, uh, the, the things that they give us and afford to us, and, and uh, it's certainly been a privilege to work for this group.
1: Coach, one of the things you guys have uh, – a big thing you guys have in, in, the, in Toledo for the city and, and for the, the organization is Winterfest. And we understand it's still a go again this year. Uh, third time, you guys will be playing outdoor at Mudhen Stadium. Uh, what's that experience like? And what's it been like for you? Or what have you most looked forward to with that Winterfest?
2: Well, the first time around is it was unique. It was something that, uh, you know, has never been done at our level. So really didn't know how it was going to go. Now with that said, I certainly trust our group that put it all together and they're going to do an unbelievable job again. And and it's, it's held at fifth third field where the Tledo mud hens play. Uh, we'll have two games, one on December 26th, one on January or December 31st. Uh, so a new year's game, which is going to be awesome. But I think, I think just, getting back to the grassroots playing outside. Uh, you know, I did it as a kid growing up in Ontario, uh, getting on, getting on a pond and just playing, playing pond hockey with the guys. Now the games aren't quite shinny like that, but with that said, just that feeling. Um, so we'll make sure we have a practice outdoors and let the guys have some fun, get the families involved. Now there's 13,000 people or more within that facility within that stadium. Watching a hockey game and and uh, you know the fireworks are going off. They they certainly make it a spectacle, uh, but it, it's unique. It's unique to our league. It's unique to Toledo. We're the only team that does it. I think it's great for our city, great for our fans, great for the you know both visiting teams uh, that will come to play. They'll bring their fans with them. So the overall experience. Is going to be fantastic. If you have an opportunity to go, I, I highly suggest it. Um, I know it's sort of in that uh, silver stick range potentially, that between Christmas and New Year's and all that. But um, it, it's one of those things that you truly have to be there to feel it to to certainly respect it.
0: Yeah, so, well, here in Cle- here in Cleveland when they did it with the uh, oh the old Jacobs Field and they did the Winter Fest and they brought in Ohio State and Michigan and that, it, it was it was a great. I mean, we went down there. We took the family down there. It was great. It was so much fun.
2: Yeah there's they have lots of things to do. Uh, I know there's going to be some some college hockey played once again Bowling Green will be involved Adrian College is going to be involved uh all the youth hockey in Toledo Good. will be involved so uh, there's gonna be some open skate times just to go out there and 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 skate like you did uh, open skates and regular, but um, a lot of other things surrounding in Hensville, which is the area around Fifth Third Field. It's a cool little spot now that uh, you know they'll have roads closed and bands playing, and and uh, it's going to be certainly a spectacle to see.
0: That'll be great. That's awesome. That'll be great. That's awesome. Hey, kind of switching gears from the coaching side of it and uh, your playing side of it. You know, you being from Glencoe, Ontario, and Obviously, I, I assume your dream was to get to the NHL as every kid's dream is that plays the game. Um, you did it through the route of the OHL. Uh, did you ever consider doing it the NCAA route? Or were you always an uh, OHL guy? And can you talk to me about you know, your decision to do that?
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was drafted in the seventh round by Sarnia and I played some triple-A hockey in the summer there. So going back to Glencoe, Ontario, I grew up in a C center. I didn't play double-A AA or AAA hockey at all. It was a C center, a small community. Uh, um, we had a lot of success there and there's a junior B team close to my hometown called this draft rockets. Uh, and then, and then now I think it's a W O J H L I believe they call it. Um, and, and from there, uh, drafted in the seventh round by Sarnia, but I was in serious, serious talks with uh, uh, Colgate University. And a couple of my friends went there that I played with, Andy McDonald, being one of them, uh, played in the NHL. Uh, he went the year before, and, and I was going to commit to Colgate and go that route. But uh, Sarnia put together a really good school package. And back then at that time, if if uh, you know I was, I was 6'1", 6'2", classified as a bigger guy, shut down state home defenseman, the whole message was, if you want to play pro, you have to go to the OHL. In Ontario, it was the London Knights. It was a Sarnia Sting. Uh, I was fortunate to play for Sarnia, but those are the teams. And, you know, you saw you saw guys like Joe Thornton coming out of that league who I played against in junior B and, and other, several other players. But those are kind of the things you look at. And, and uh, the advice I got was school will always be there. If you want to go play hockey, go play hockey. Um, and now I think it's transitioned where if you look at guys going and playing pro and having a ton of success, If you're not one of those real, real high-end major junior players, a lot are coming out of college. And I know teams, um, they look at different things and and maturity being one of them. Now you've got a mature kid coming out of a NCAA program. he can step right in. Uh, he could take care of himself all these little things that I now see on the coaching side of it yeah uh, I didn't know when I went to play so I was fortunate went to Sarnia played three years there had an unbelievable billet family the Bentleys they took care of me for three years I was was very lucky to sign an NHL contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets out of there but that decision I still remember it to that day I got called by Sarnia and Colgate on the same day (laughs) basically had to make a decision Uh, how how (laughs) old were you How, how old were you 16 turn, I was was 16 turning 17. So So 16 16,
0: 16, turned 17, you're going to have to make the decision of your life right there. There you go.
2: I was 17 years old. It was December, November, December. So I I turned down the opportunity to play with Sarnia at the start of the year to go back and play another year at junior B. We had an unbelievable team. I made the commitment to stay there, not knowing what I was going to do. And uh, they got short in Sarnia with defensemen and they called and and put a great package together. And and, uh, so it's one of those things where either staying in Strathroy and going to Colgate or you're jumping on a bus to go to Sault Ste. Marie the next morning at 8am. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> needless to say, I was in a car with my Hoyt parents driving
1: to Sarnia that night. Yeah. Right. So coming from the OHL and, and then making the jump to a professional hockey and now coaching and seeing the different routes guys are taking to get to, to the pro level. Do you see a difference be it if they come from major junior or do you see a difference if they come from the, the collegiate level in how I, they, I guess, in how they play.
2: Yeah, I do. I do. I think uh, a lot of it has to do with things away from the rink, which can affect what you do at the rink. Um, you know, I think uh, major junior guys and, and I was one of them. Uh, I never had to make a breakfast, lunch, or dinner at my billets house. They did everything. I didn't do laundry. Cause I was an hour away from home. My parents came and picked that up and brought it back. <laughs> um you know, everything was there now you go to college though, you're you're living in a dorm room you've got to figure out what to do how to go uh figure out to navigate a campus uh now you now you know maybe by your third fourth year there you're you're living at a house having to cook meals for yourself so i think these guys away from the rink know how to handle themselves which betters them at the rink i think the style of play too is a little bit different from ncaa the major junior um you know i think the major junior guys uh they're used to a grinding schedule in terms of the back-to-back maybe the three and threes with travel on a bus where the NCAA guys and and we've seen it several times they kind of hit this wall around January February they've played the 40 games and Oh boy, we still got another we still got another half a season, still <laughs> another half a season, 40, maybe 50 games to go. Who knows here? So they hit a little bit of a wall, but then they come out of it. They certainly do. But um, outside of that, you still get the young mistakes from both sides of it. Uh, we've, we've seen players who are really, really well coached out of some great programs. And we've seen some guys come from maybe not so great programs that have some sloppy mistakes and habits. And, and that's what we try to clean up so that they're ready for that next level. Or just try to get them better on a daily basis in Toledo.
0: You know Dan, we're, we're gonna talk a little bit about you know now your coaching side of it and, and you you started being an assistant coach in 09, the 10 season uh, for the walleye. and then you became head coach in seventeen and 18 or 16 and seventeen uh, to now. And, and you put together some really, really impressive numbers. you know 50 win game or 50 uh, wins in your first two season. Uh, you had a hell of a year going this year. Um, and obviously the, the, the year you went to the finals, which was a good year. Uh, I I don't know how many people know your schedule. I mean, I'm, you know, I've got, I've gotten to know you quite a bit, Dan, over the past couple of years, as we have something in common with our daughters being real good friends, but your, your, your day is not like a typical coach's day when you have home games or you're at practices. Can you just talk our listeners through the grind that you go through? for every day uh with your coaching
2: no i certainly can and and i've been doing it now so it'll be 11 years and and uh so it's sort of been my routine and what a typical day is for me is certainly not like anybody else or anyone else maybe that doesn't live in a really really big city with backup traffic but i live here on the west side of cleveland uh in north ridgewell with my wife and three kids and uh, obviously, Toledo is where I coach, so I've got to get up and, and get the kids to school, and then and then drive to Toledo. It's a hundred miles, door to door. Um, You know, I take Route Two, so I don't have to pay the sixty dollars in tolls per week. Because that can <laughs> uh, do, do, do you, you. Do you really take Route Two? Route Two, and I'm telling you, it's exactly ten minutes slower than the than the turnpike. Okay, so wow. for me, I'm like, okay, I can save sixty bucks. That's an extra tank of gas to, to <laughs> take Route Two. Uh, um, <laughs> So I take Route Two every day, and and we get into the arena. Uh, we practice at ten thirty every day. And, uh, you know, on a practice day, uh, I get in there. We have, a, we have a meeting with the coaches to get prepared. Uh, and then we jump on the ice with the guys. Um, I guess the other part about the morning is just communication with the guys. I think that's huge is, is making sure you're still building all those relationships, uh, understanding them, getting them to understand you. We have practice. And then when we get off practice, again, it's 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 whether it's video sessions with the coaching staff, preparing for what's ahead that week. Uh, and then it's it's the drive home, and I'm usually out of the arena by three o'clock, and try to get home by five. Uh, I'm the cook in the house, so I'm the guy that when I get home, it's it's I better have dinner ready to go and prepared. And uh, it's also the witching hour for the kids at that time too. They're they're hungry and starting to get hangry, as they say. Right. I, I get that way too. Uh, lots of coffee, lots of coffee on the way to and from, just to make sure. But. Here's the thing about the morning. Uh, I think it's great. I grab my coffee and I, I think about. It. I've got an hour and a half to think about what needs to be done that day. What do I need to execute? What does that practice look like? So I can detail everything out on the way to Toledo, and then on the way home is typically my my phone time. Who am I? Who do I need to talk to? Is it agents? Is it uh, my affiliate? Is it our assistant coaches? Even though we've already spent the day together, whatever the case may be, it's 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 finding time within that, and sometimes just drive home without music on just my again my collect my thoughts and thinking and then on game day um i will stay over in toledo uh most days but on a friday morning if it's the start of a weekend i'll drive in pregame skate at 10 o'clock and then i'm there all day doesn't matter if it's uh you know a friday saturday sunday game i once i get there in the morning i'm there until the game's over with uh until we get our work done but it's typically morning skate then we'll do a 5 on 5 pre-scout meeting for the, against the opponents we'll do our power play meetings uh, Andy Delmore my assistant coach runs those uh and then as coaches we we again we prepare get our meetings ready our video ready for the, for that day uh they get back to the rink it's it's again 5 on 5 or sorry penalty kill meeting which I run and then we go right into a quick team meeting with a slide and, and away we go for game day. And then after the game, it, it varies depending on which family members are there from any of our coaching staff, media responsibilities. Uh, and then we'll get into maybe some chances for, chance against, and just an opportunity to look back at the game real quick. Uh, we do a lot of our, our thinking overnight and then come back in the morning before the players get there and and uh, have our message ready for that day.
0: Hey, Dan, there's been a lot of talks over the past couple of years about morning skates and you know some clubs do them some clubs don't some believe in it some don't what what's your what's your thought process on
2: that we've started to get away from the mandatory morning skates I think Friday morning uh you know if we practice Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and we have a three and three where we play Friday Saturday most guys like to get on the ice that Friday morning uh, so we'll, we'll, we will skate Friday morning and, and just work on some things if, if needed. Uh, but Saturday morning is total optional day. I will get guys out of bed if needed to come down to their, to the arena. They can do whatever they want to do. Uh, get on a bike quickly, uh, you know, stress, jump in a hot tub, cold tub, or go on the ice. We have everything available. And then there's some Saturdays where I say, you know what guys sleep's important go home, get your rest. Uh, the, after Friday game, number one is make sure you're smart, make good decisions. That's going to be good for the team tomorrow, not for yourself tonight. Uh, so go home, get your rest. And then, you know what? Stay, stay at home Saturday, get a good breakfast in you, go for a walk, get some exercise, but we got a big game Saturday, come back to the rink and be ready to go.
0: Well, I do. I do want to, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Uh, I was always, I'm, I'm just sometimes mind boggled and, and when, you know the girls our, our girls play volleyball together and they would have like a sunday morning 10 a.m volleyball game and dan was in wheeling the night before and i well, i show up to the to the gym for the volleyball and there's dan standing in there just, <laughs> like Holy sh- what did you, did you just drive all night and, and half the time you probably do dan so that's that's good stuff right there
2: no it's uh try to hit those as much as you can and, and you know with hockey yeah. it's yeah. it's with three kids you want to try and get to as much as you can so if i have to give up a few hours of sleep and sacrifice that to to watch uh, my daughter play i'll be there
3: yeah absolutely well
1: with all your with all your traveling around ohio your your career spent uh multiple stops in ohio and all the traveling you have to do up route two what's your favorite place to eat
2: oh wow wow so i don't stop too much that's the thing i'm a, okay I'm a okay oh guy but um you know we uh you
0: gotta be a tony
2: pacos guy right well, yeah, Tony Pacos is there, and then you've got <laughs> both restaurants in Hensville. You've got the Blarney Downtown Toledo, uh, Chick Fil A, who I just partnered with uh, to feed uh, all the nurses at Bay Park Hospital, so nice. I have to represent Chick Fil A. Yes, uh, and then and then here in North Ridgeville, though, uh, Nino's Nino's is a great spot in North Ridgeville, nice Italian restaurant there, uh, phenomenal. Uh, some local pizza places, but. We try to cook as much as we can, but also during this time, we also want to want to help out the local restaurants. So we've been probably eating out a little bit more than what we should, probably should be right now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and hopefully soon we'll be doing more of that here.
2: Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. We'll see.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, so you played in Toledo with the Storm, and, and you guys played down at the old uh, – what was that arena called downtown? Or uh, not oh, downtown, but – uh,
2: Toledo Sports Arena. Sports One Arena. Yeah. Yeah, one main street Toledo, Ohio, the the sports arena. So,
0: you know, obviously with the emergence of, of the walleye or the change over to walleye them going downtown by the Mudhead stadium in in that area, you know, how have you seen hockey in Toledo pro hockey in Toledo and the community change since your time playing there. And now, especially with the Huntington center and all that good stuff.
2: Well, when I played there in 06, 07, um, you know, I don't know if Toledo, if they knew it was going to be the final season, probably not. But the, the fans have always been unbelievable there, even from that last year. And we got knocked out in the first round, but they were still coming to every single game, supporting us, uh, whether we won, whether we lost. And, and uh, you're going to take some criticism from that from that city. Uh, they understand hockey. They know it. they're very, very passionate about it. I think what we see now is a transition into more of a family friendly environment. It's, it's all about an experience. Um, We have some passionate hockey fans that know the score, know where we are in the standings. Um, They really do care about us and, and that fan base is starting to grow and grow. But I think just the whole overall experience of getting a bite to eat downtown, coming to the game and going to enjoy some entertainment after the game. There's so many options now. What that Huntington center has done is really, spark downtown in terms of new restaurants going in new bars opening up uh, new events happening at the Huntington Center to bring concerts so um, just that family-friendly environment Uh, it's it's the it's a great place to watch a game for anybody Um, but our team does a really good job with all the research they do and and understanding the fan base and uh, but that's the biggest change is that sort of uh in real tight close on top of your tight mentality over the sports arena it was no holds barred you might get off from a shift and the guy sitting right next to you you're getting an earful from him you're getting an earful (laughs) from your coach your d partner whoever it may be you're getting earful from where now it is total experience and and i can certainly say that uh winning on the ice definitely helps um but with that said it's a passionate fan base that show up night in night out and we don't take that for granted we're so super appreciative of, of the support we get there
0: yeah absolutely you know and, and you and i've talked about this dan before and and i have, i'm a huge lo- i have lobbied numerous times to, to try to get the state the high the high school state tournament there because of the facility that 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 you guys have it's amazing uh and again like you said winning helps i mean you guys have had a yep. great couple years uh the runs but Um, also for the facility, and that almost looks like, uh, I don't even want to say a miniature, but a, a downscaled, uh, you know, Jacobs arena area down in Cleveland,
2: Mm. No, you know, it like, is. It is. And, uh, you know, it's 11 years old and you'd think it was just built yesterday. Yeah. Uh, that's just the way they keep it. And that, that's, that's due to the, the county helping out, obviously, and the staff that's running the arena. Uh, it is top notch. If something's broken, it gets fixed. It doesn't sit there. If something needs to be painted to make it look good, it gets painted. Uh, Nothing sits around to to wait to get old and and push it back. So uh, all the credit goes to them. But with that said, there's been updates. The LED lighting went in last year. They updated the screen to make it even bigger in there. Uh, you know the sponsorships help. So just the connections and relationships that, although uh, walleye have built within the community, have allowed them to to do all the stuff inside the arena to to make it look new and keep it new. And like you said, they they've they've transformed downtown to to make it a great environment and great area to come and uh, get some entertainment.
1: That has to be a great selling point when you're trying to I guess bring players in and convince them why Toledo is the place for them to play. Because so much of the game, yes, is on the ice, but there's a whole other part of becoming a professional and playing in, in, in professional hockey that happens away from the arena that with all that they're doing, it has to be a heck of a selling point for the city. It
2: is. And and you know, the, the guys that I recruit, if they've ever played inside the Huntington center, that's the first thing you say, well, you don't have to tell me about that. I've been there and I've seen it. I already know what yeah. that is. And, and that's what they want. They want to be, they want to be part of that atmosphere. Uh, they can see when, when we get on a roll inside the Huntington center, it's a tough place to play. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those places where the crowd gets into it. It gives the home team energy and the visiting team can see that. So it does sell itself. And, and, uh, it's been one of the big driving points for me getting high end guys or, or young talent to come in to say, Hey, you can play in front of 7,500 to 8,000 people every single night here, or you can go somewhere else and play in front of 300, which, which, what gets you excited?
1: Yeah, I know,
2: right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
1: D- did you always know that you wanted to coach when you were done playing? No, I don't think so. I honestly, I didn't know
2: what I was going to do. Um, you know, so much goes up in the air. But um, my last year in Toledo with the storm, head coach Nick Vitucci knew that the storm were done. There's going to be a two year waiting process. Uh, I was going to retire due to some, some bad shoulders that I've got here. And, and uh, he actually asked me then right at that point, would you ever consider being an assistant coach? I said, yeah, I would consider it, but I mean, that's two years down the road. (laughs) So I ended up working with him at Can-Am Hockey Schools, traveling around the U.S. and and helping out. And then also out at uh, an old place called Puck Masters Ohio Hockey Academy with Mike Wilson uh, for two years, being the head coach and and running some instructions out there, which, which really helped me with the skill development side of things. Uh, so when it came back around in 2009, I was ready to jump at it. I really was. And and one of the years I was hurt with the shoulder surgery, uh, another coach of mine, Malcolm Cameron, allowed me to come on the bench, uh, come in early, watch some video just to get behind the scenes of what, it, what it takes to be a good coach. So, um, you know, once 2009 came, that, that uh, coaching bug hit me. I've been away from the game playing. So I didn't have that big itch to keep playing. And, and uh, I was off and running. You
0: reference video a lot in, in the that, that part of the game has become such a huge part of not only coaching the game, but also playing the game. Um, how much do you guys really, uh, how much do you utilize video with the coaching staff and, and players?
2: Well, the coaching staff, we probably watch way too much. <laughs> so now it's, it's staying organized. That, that's the biggest thing is keeping it organized, understand what you're watching, what you're looking for. So you don't get bogged down yourself. And, and um, you know, we can come in and as a staff, again, I've got four guys, So we can really tackle a lot of video, but now it's really condensing it to what we need to see. And then from there, you might have 50 clips that you think your team should see. Well, you got to window that down to even less, because if you go in there and show 50 clips after clip 10, the players are like, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? And I heard a great saying that you don't want the players to feel like they're drinking from water from a fire hose. You can just pound information at the players way too much. And so we try not to do that. Now we have one thing called tell the truth and whether, depending on what day it falls on, we always try to tell the truth Tuesdays. So after the weekend set, that's when we'll show a bunch of video that we need to either continue doing, stop doing or start doing. And that sort of start, stop, continue. I'll learn that from my wife and her profession. So, um, you know, we'll come back and look at that. And it is tell the truth. So if you had a bad weekend, you already know coming into that that video session, I'm probably going to be the first star. I'm probably going to get shown a lot, but I need to see it. Uh, with that said, we also have another program that sends uh, every player's shifts to their cell phone, iPad the next morning. So our players get their shifts. They A lot of of analytical data they get the next morning on their phones that they can see. Um, If they have any questions, they can certainly come and ask us, which they do. And if we see anything, we'll just grab guys one-on-one individually. But you have to be really careful of what information you show them, how you show it to them, the message that's sent. And I think that's the biggest thing. So as coaches, you want to be really prepared behind the scenes. And then when you go out there to present your meeting, it's got to be the highest quality that you have to show them.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important also for our listeners to know, uh, especially our young hockey listeners, that, you know, there's always a tape filming and the film never lies. So,
2: you we know, tape, we take uh, training camp this past year for the first time. And I would go and I'd go home. I wouldn't watch at the rink, but I'd go home at night and I'd watch practice. I'd say, man, this guy's habits and details are not where they need to be in practice. And he's supposed to be one of our top players. And so it's an easy conversation the morning to walk in and say, hey, like I saw, I can't see every single player during practice, but guess what? I can when it's on tape and I went home and watched it. You weren't good enough yesterday. And so the little things like that, tape does not lie. It tells the truth. Uh, so when, when a player looks back at you and says, Hey, I don't, I don't think you're right. I love going back to watch a video and say, no, I was right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> Dan, we could probably sit here all day and all night and talk and, and I appreciate your time, but I do, I do have one, and, and this has got to be part, one of the hardest parts of an East coast hockey league coach is you, you go on and you look at your roster and the roster goes on like a mile. Yeah. So how is it to, how, I mean, how do you guys manage all the changes in the lineups every night and and I know it's the point I know that you know you want people to get moved up yep. and I, you know but how how do you as a coach is that how hard is that for you
2: it's tough I've, I've sort of learned to deal with it over over the course of the year I think my first year as a head coach it was okay this player is moving up this player moving up. I'd almost be like oh what is going on like now what now what but now it's it that is part of the game you have to understand it um you've got to be ready you have to have players phone numbers coaches from the SPHL Uh, You have to know the the database that's available uh, and you go from there. We have that next up, you know, the next player up mentality too. So if a guy is sitting in the stands, a guy gets called up, a guy gets hurt. uh, We trade a guy, release a guy. He's got to be ready to go. It doesn't matter what it is. So uh, we preach that from the start of the year, but you're right. Our our main goal is to get these guys to the next level. We want to see, these guys have as much success on the ice off the ice and, and in their wallet as they can. Yeah. Uh, and so with that said, it, it is one of those things that next player mentality, know the database, have good relationships with the, with all the coaches, whether it's in your league, another league, the league below you, it doesn't matter. Have the ability to have a good communication with them to, to get one of their Well, it has to be game. a
1: testament. It, it is a testament. It doesn't have to be. It is a testament to the job you got. you and your staff are doing that you're in that predicament of guys having to move up and now you have to I don't want to say pick the rest of the pieces up and make it go because it's it's a it's a the team has to do that the players have to do that but congratulations on all the success man it's been it's been awesome one to learn about you and one to follow along over the course of the last few years well much
2: appreciated and uh you know hopefully there's some continued success in Toledo while I'm there it's been a lot of fun and great ride so far
0: yeah, Dan, thanks again for uh, coming on. Uh, always nice talking to you. And uh, uh, if, you, if you're if you listening out there, you get a chance to get up to Toledo, catch a walleye game, especially the Winterfest that will be going on. We're going to get through these tough times. Uh, it will be going on. And and do yourself a favor, hockey fans, get up to Toledo, watch a game in that beautiful arena and support the walleye. Dan, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys, very much. Appreciate it. Well, that was a- Interview with the head coach of the Toledo Walleye, Dan Watson. Man, brought brought a lot of uh, different aspects to uh, the pro game at the East Coast level. Uh, Also, talked a lot about the facilities that he plays in, how fortunate uh, he said he was to play in that facility, as it's almost a you know NHL style facility. So, it was good to get his perspective on things. Uh, I, I really enjoy getting the different perspectives of the different levels so far at the pro game. And uh, you know, it was, it was nice to have Dan on and and hear his side of it.
1: You know, it was really cool that, you know, I I don't know a lot about the East coast hockey league. I mean, I know what I read and, and a few guys that I know that play played or play in it, but it was cool to hear, you know, how how Toledo is built basically from the ground up with, with the Huntington center and the the surrounding area to make players want to come there and be a part of an environment. And that's what, you know, the Huntington center and and the wall I have created and, I, as you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for all the behind the scenes stuff. So it was cool to hear how what they look for as coaches in 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 trying to get players to come in and and, and make that jump from college hockey to to the coast or or whatever direction they're going. And I just. I, I enjoy conversations like that. Dan was a lot of fun to talk to.
0: Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you what—what what a de- dedicated guy, and not only just to his sport and his job, but also to his family. I mean, the travel that he does every day to to make sure that he's present in, in with his family, and then also present with his uh, job is is very very impressive. And uh, um, you know, kudos to Dan and, and his family for that.
1: I, I'll tell you—I'll uh, I'll tell you one thing. I don't—I—I uh, I, I don't live near the arena we play in. And there's days I start driving and I'm like, my God, this drive. Oh, until you hear about a guy driving a hundred miles door to door on a daily basis, it kind of puts it all in perspective. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. You know, you know, <laughs>
0: I, I, I agree with you every once in a while. I agree with you, Jay, but every once in a while, and, and probably for him, it's probably like he said, it's a great opportunity for him just to think, yeah. think about what needs to be done. So, you know, if, if you, if you use it that way, but I, I, I hear you. I mean, that would, again, I don't, you know right now i don't know if i'd have the discipline for 100 so actually you think 200 miles round trip yeah. right uh, a, day? a day i don't think i don't think dan watson's leasing a car <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> i did i did want to ask him so you take route two to avoid the tolls and just build the organization what are we doing The yeah, like, right. organization couldn't couldn't spring for an easy pass for you or what right, right.
0: <laughs> well moving right along here let's uh welcome on air 15-year NHL veteran and current director of NHL scouting for Neutral Zone NHL and Neutral Zone Amateur Scouting, Ian Moran. This interview is brought to you by the Toledo Walleye. Game plans put you so close to the action, you'll have to to remember you do not have skates on. If you are a true fanatic, nothing beats a Toledo Walleye game plan for family-friendly, fast-action fun. Call 419-725-9255 or visit ToledoWalleye.com to get your seats today. Our next guest on Ohio Hockey Digest on air is Ohio native drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1990 NHL draft. He played NCAA hockey at Boston college, then went on to play 15 years in national hockey league. He's the head of IM skills development and director of scouting NHL for Neutral Zone NHL and Neutral Zone Amateur Scouting. Please welcome to on air Ian Moran. Welcome, Ian.
3: Hey guys, how are you?
0: Doing well. Hey, Ian. nice to see you,
3: bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, for, as I said, you're a native of Ohio, and we're, we definitely wanted to make sure we got you on here, and, and uh, you know, make sure that people of Ohio know that you're from not only the Cleveland area but from Ohio. Yeah. Um, so you were born in Cleveland, right?
3: I was born at uh, Lakewood Hospital.
0: Okay, which is no longer there, I hate to tell you, but.
3: Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sign of things to come, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, sign of things. It's now an ER, but. Uh, okay. Um, so, you're born in Cleveland. You started your hockey career playing here in Cleveland.
3: No, um, I, moved, I moved when I was young.
0: Yeah, well, what time, well, you, well, you played a little bit here, though, and then you left, right?
3: I played pro. My first year and a half pro was with the Lumberjacks. Okay. As far as, as far as youth hockey, I actually moved out of Cleveland. I was eight, eight months old up to Calgary. And then ended up back in Cleveland for about two months after a year or so, and then out in Colorado. So I actually started playing out in Colorado. But my grandparents were uh, in Rocky River and Lakewood, so I used to come back and go to Bobby Witten's Hockey School and and all that kind of stuff. So I'd come back every summer for a couple weeks and see grandparents and cousins and all that and and go to Mr. Witten's Hockey School.
0: Very good, very good. So so you ended up in Connecticut. That's where you really started playing your youth hockey, correct?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
0: Okay. I remember – I know your father's a big Saint Ed's football fan. He played. He played. Actually, played football with my father at Saint Ed's. Oh,
3: nice! Um, I still get the. I get the updates on football and wrestling all the time. So there you go. We're gonna have to. <laughs> we're
0: gonna have to get you some updates on the hockey team as well. Um, so you come back and you would you would go to uh, Mister Witten's hockey school every once in a while. You ever get back here to, in Ohio?
3: Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I'd come back. My uh, my parents actually live in Westlake right now. They moved back in probably early two thousands. So I get back every once in a while. Not as often as I should, but I, I get, definitely get back. Good. So I was planning on coming back this spring. with I was going to Erie to watch uh, the Otters play. Um, and just when everything broke up with coronavirus, everything got put on hold.
1: Yeah. So, you, you, Ian, you, you went and played at Belmont Hill. Yeah. For prep in New England there, right outside of Boston. Your first two years of pro are with Cleveland, the Lumberjacks, in the uh, International League in the IHL. Yeah, uh, it was an exciting time for hockey, returning to Cleveland after roughly 20-year hiatus with uh, Jacobs Field Gund Arena. What memories do you have of playing at the Richfield Coliseum before it moved downtown?
3: Um, you know, initially, so I, we were we were staying on the west side because we were practicing at Rocky River, and you know, you'd have to drive out to Richfield and. Um, I mean, really and truly not a lot. It was my my first year. I think I had played about 15, 20 games out there. Uh, We had a young team. We got uh, mathematically eliminated, I think, on February 23rd. We got absolutely waxed. But at that point, the IHL had – they were making a push to have NHL third and fourth liners come down and play, and they were making pretty good money. And so there was um, Cleveland and Indianapolis that were still development teams, and the rest of the IHL was all – you know, either older NHL guys or guys that were third or fourth line guys that were coming. We, we got absolutely waxed. I mean, it was, you know, it seems, it seems like it shouldn't have mattered, but they were just older, more mature. They were smarter, knew how to play. Um, you know, but then the following year, year and a bit, we had, uh, we had seven of us that were on the, um, on the Penguins for opening night. So it was, you know, the Penguins management did a pretty good job of just letting us play and figure things out. Um, yeah. I think we played Cincinnati like 20 times and lost 20 times. Like it was yeah, the schedule and you know, it was, it was division based. And we played, uh, Detroit, Chicago, Fort Wayne and Kalamazoo constantly. And, and Cincy, and since just absolutely destroyed us.
1: I have a question in your second year in Cleveland, you play with a game, Rick Hayward. Oh yeah. Did, did Hayward spend any minutes five on five?
3: Oh yeah. He's, he was all right. He was tough as nails. He was my partner and my roomie. He was, uh, Two hundred and
1: sixty-nine pims that year, wasn't
3: it? Yeah, we had a really, we had a really tough team.
1: Uh, looking <laughs> back on that, every everyone in
3: the IHL had tough teams at that point. I mean, it was yeah. it was ridiculous. It was, um, you know, there was Hazy and there was Hawkins, and we had Mike Dagenet and Corey Bolio were really tough. Eddie Patterson was tough. Um, you know, every, it seemed like every scrum there was gloves were down, and you had you know some sort of a tussle. I think, I mean, the one year I I think I had 15 majors and I only had 90 penalty minutes or 91 penalty minutes or something like that. So think about that. That's insane. You know, like, all I did was. but But Hazy was great. Hazy was tough. Taught me a lot. Um, Wasn't a big guy, but boy, he was tough as nails. He was really tough.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you were drafted in 1990 by the Penguins. Yeah. They won a couple Stanley Cups in 92 and 93. At that time you were playing at BC. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we're later on in the, in the podcast, we're going to talk about your thought process on NCAA college hockey and uh, major junior A hockey. And, and, but you were playing at BC at the time. And that's, I mean, that's probably the hierarchy of where you wanted where kids wanted to go and play college hockey uh, is at BC or in that area at that time. Um, were you in any hurry to get your pro career started as you were drafted by the Penguins and they're winning Stanley cups left and right during that time?
3: uh i know i definitely wanted to turn pro i i had a i'd set a goal at that point so you, i got drafted after my junior year in high school so it was a little bit different the draft rules then versus now i think now i, I wouldn't be eligible for another two years maybe three years um you know, i got drafted went back to my senior year at Belmont hill and then played a freshman and sophomore year and i know when i was getting getting recruited i told all the coaches and the teams that i was coming for two years and turning pro so my whole goal was to turn pro after sophomore year so i wanted to be playing. Uh, you know, 2021 20, and playing pro. Um, as far as you know, them that team and the Penguins winning the cups, it was you know, you just think you're a young guy, you're getting drafted, you're going into play. It's a natural progression. The guys are going to age out, and you've got to come in. It's the way it goes. So I, uh, I knew I had stuff to learn. I knew I had to get bigger and stronger and all that kind of stuff. But I never, never doubted that I was going to be able to play. I don't, I don't know how to make that sound without sounding cocky. But no, it, was, no, it, it doesn't. Was a, it was a mindset of. You know, I think any of the kids that are getting drafted, you have to have the mindset you're going to play. And, if you know, you can you can tell the kids when they come into training camp who believes they can play and who believes they can't. You know, whether whether they figure out and they can do it or something different. There's some kids that are just happy to be there. But, you know, from the get-go, I, my, I was playing and I'm playing. So.
0: Right. So uh, a question that came to us from uh, Scott Harrington, the founder of the Ohio Hockey Digest. He's a 1994 graduate of UNH. Yep. He, he wanted to know in your terms what it was like to be a visiting player at the Lively Snively.
3: Snively, oh yeah, it was great. They had, they had some good teams. They played on it was Olympic sheet, so it was the biggest bigger ice sheet. Um, they had a lot of guys who were five eight five nine that could fly around. You know, they had a guy, uh, I think it was Joey Flanagan. I think his first name was Joey, but he used just one strip of tape in the middle of his blade, and it was just maddening because he was he was their goal line presence on the power play. But he was he was they were really good. They they could fly. Coach Millie did a great job recruiting. He had definitely had a the style of play and a type of player that he wanted. Of a lively snidely, they were tough. So, and then my daughter just finished her sophomore year at UNH. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, it's not the same atmosphere right now. though it's going back to a small, it's, it's going back to a uh, a small sheet of ice, which I think will really help recruiting. So.
0: Right, right. Oh well, I know uh, the founder Scott will be thrilled to hear that you you actually sent one of your
1: children to yeah, UNH. So
3: they've got some good kids coming in next year. They really do. They got some some kids that have committed that can play. They got a young kid, oh three, that's a stud.
1: So. The, the irony for our podcast is Scott uh, runs the digest, and he went to UNH, and and uh, you played, uh, spent some games at UNH. Your daughter's at UNH. We interviewed a woman the other day that played at UNH. Yeah, so <laughs> we're starting to see a trend yeah. with who Scott suggests yeah. us to interview. It's fantastic. A but, wild but, catch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, but in '94 on the uh, the pre Olympic tour, yeah, Team USA. Were you taking classes remotely with the intention of returning to BC, or had you already decided that you were going to go pro?
3: I hadn't signed then. Um, I was not taking classes remotely. We were, we were traveling. Uh, I think, honestly, we we started the first week of July and traveled all the way through. I, I got cut uh, the third – basically, I got cut with Chris Ferraro, and the team flew over to go to Europe and uh, playing the pre-Olympic tournaments, and then I signed the next day. So we were, we were negotiating the whole time uh what was going on because at that point you could sign a contract and still still play in the olympics and um you know we were were negotiating the whole time and had a pretty good idea that it was going to happen and you know i got gassed and signed the next day chris got gassed and he went over because his twin brother was still playing so it was uh it was a little bit interesting they cut the two of us and added two guys that were playing over in europe rather than take us you know we had we had the team had done really well in the the pre-olympic tour and it totally messed up the uh, team chemistry, and they ended up coming to last place, which is really too bad because it was a good team, a team that had always done well uh, historically at younger events.
0: How, how many how many games did you play in that tour again?
3: Oh, uh, probably sixty, maybe something like that. Wow. Right, so
0: so you were traveling all over the globe.
3: All over, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean that had to be that had to be a cool experience. I know. I mean, it didn't end the way you wanted, but that had to be a cool experience. At that oh, it was time. great.
3: It was great. Yeah. It was had uh, some guys I'm really tight with and have been tight with you know, even before that. Um, but yeah, like we were were in Russia, we were Sweden, Finland, Germany, Italy, you name it, France. Like we went all over Europe, we're all over Canada. We played, I think we played 11 games against, um, team Canada. They had a team that year that was, you know, getting ready for the Olympics. It was, a they had really never done that before, uh, to the extent they did that year. Um, it was, it was good though. It was, it was a ton of fun. Brett Lindros was on that team and there were some other guys, but Brett would be the biggest name.
0: Sure, sure. All right, so you're working with Neutral Zone now. Um, yeah. Can you tell our listeners what your role is with Neutral Zone and what you, know, what they're, what you guys offer to uh, hockey players out there throughout the country?
3: Yeah, so Neutral Zone would be like, so if you think about rivals for football, my dogs are going to start barking here. I would apologize now. but
0: This is as amateur as it comes, Ian. Don't worry yep. about
3: it. Okay, so um, <laughs> if you think about like rivals for football, Right. And, you know, like a kid, he's got four or five hats on the table and he's going to make a commitment to Clemson or Ohio state or wherever he's going to go. When um, there's a star rating, like a five star tight end or whatever it is. Um, so we, we started four years ago with a similar model where we give the kids star ratings. A five, a five star would be, you know, the top kid in the age group last would be Jack Hughes or, or Capo that type of thing. And, and it goes, you know, you're going to three and three quarter th- or, you know, Four and, four and three quarters, four and a half, four and a quarter, all the way down to, you know, about a two and a half, two and a half, two, seven, five. Uh, what we've been doing, what we figured out is basically a three, seven, five is a kid will end up playing division one. A three, five is someone who's, you know, as a as a division one skill set. of, There is one division one skill set, whether he can skate or he can shoot or whatever, but he might not have the full package, but he could get like a two for four at a school. And then, or you could be, you know, a division three kid and do really well. Um, you know, we, we start watching kids at U14 level. So that would be kids that are essentially freshmen in high school. So it's 15 year olds or, you know, turning 15 that year. And it goes all the way up until the age out of junior. So this year we went 05s to 1999s um, and we watch every, every major tournament every major showcase uh small small tournaments small small showcases you you name it um we've got guys there heading into the uh you know this spring when everything blew up we had 70 scouts that were working for us you know nobody based out of europe but i would go to europe um we'd have uh you know we've got guys that we have guys that run run certain provinces in canada that one get the guy who runs all of Canada, he was he coached in the NCAAs, he coached in Major Junior. Um, you know, we've got guys around Ontario that were on Oshawa's team when they won the Memorial Cup in, the, in I think it was 93. Guys out west that played in the uh, WHL. So we have guys all over, um, you know, that have, you know, different, thing, different age groups that they're strong at or different, um, you know, whether it be Major Junior, USHL, North American Hockey League, you know, whatever it is. My role primarily is to watch the guys that are eligible for the NHL draft. So this year, it's you know primarily focused on late O1s or O or 2s who have uh, who are eligible for the draft. Watch a little bit of the guys who are O3s for next year's draft, but primarily the guys who were for this year's draft. Uh, for the O2s and the O1s, we basically have four years worth of tournaments and tracking on these kids, so we know um, which way they're trending and which way they're not how much they've grown. You know, you know, the history on guys, it's unbelievable what we have. Not everything that we have uh, notes on players is actually published for everyone to see because we have NHL teams that are subscribers, Division One, Twos, Twos, and Threes, and Juniors, so not everything goes out for everybody to be able to see. But our our subscribers are from NHL teams, to college teams, to junior teams, to prep schools, to uh major junior up in canada tier one two and three two individual s- subscribers and families um basically what we tried to do with the with the whole star system was the name would imply with neutral zone is we're neutral we really don't have uh any reason to bs about it or to make anything that's um you know not not honest so we're neutral and we we have we don't ever go off of one person's recommendation or one person's evaluation on a kid. It's usually built up over, you know, we could have 20 evaluations on a kid or 25 evaluations on a kid. And, you know, it's fluid. A kid a kid could be a 3.75 and move up. Like this morning, we, I re- released an evaluation on a kid named Finn Brown, plays up in the OJ, you know, 16, 18 months ago, he was a 3.25, a big kid who was kind of an awkward skater. Now he's a 3.75. He's going to RPI. But he's a, he's a kid to me. Realistically, he probably won't get drafted, and I don't think he should, but he should be invited to an NHL development camp, and they should get their eyes on him because who the hell knows when he keeps you know progressing and, and his trajectory is going the same way when he comes out of RPI. He's going to go there. He's going to play. He's going to be a big, strong kid. You know Who the hell knows where he's gonna of, what he's going to come out what he's going to be like when he comes out.
0: Hey, let me ask you a quick question. Uh, You you wrote uh, I don't know, yesterday or the day before about a young man named Peter Reynolds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, who decommitted yep. from BC and and you know I kind of chuckled at your tweet about that, but I think what what kind of got me was and you said you think it, it's going to be a good move for him to play in yep. Major Junior A instead of NCAA. Can can you walk me through that? You know why why is that a better league for him than NCAA, and, and will that just push him in a different direction or?
3: Well, it's I mean it's it has it really has nothing to do with the school or with Major Junior or you know. NCAA or had. it has to do with the with the kid okay. and where I think he'll end up getting drafted um and he's he's basically been I don't know what his hometown is he's from he's from near St. John's whatever whatever it is he's from the Maritimes and he's he's essentially been living away from home since he was 12 years old whether he was at Shattuck or he was playing for um the Islanders which is which is north of Boston a little bit but he's, he's been away from home for for you know five years essentially and, you know, he, gets, he got drafted by St. John. It's in the Maritimes. He can be home. His parents can see him. And he can, he can, you know, play major junior, which no matter what anyone says, there's more kids that come out of major junior than anywhere else to play. Um, he's a physically mature kid. He, you basically know what he is. He's about 5'9". He's going to get bigger. He's going to get stronger, but he's probably not going to get much taller. Um, you know, so, I mean, it was more looking into the whole the whole aspect of it versus, you know, play in college versus versus not it it, and it was just his decision to do that made total sense to me it was no no knock on bc it was no knock on ncaa's it was just me have watched have watched reynolds play for a number of years he's a kid that literally makes you say oh wow he's a five star you know he's he's really good he's really creative he's competitive um you know just just that kind of thing there it was really there was no knock on anything other than that that just decision made sense sense to me and i think it's the right one you know i don't if anyone, if anyone
0: questions the, the name of you guys this company who you work for neutral zone that right there describes what you guys are about so
3: yeah I mean it was like I'm I'm friendly with the guys who coach most of the schools in Boston and you know they were wondering if I was taking a shot at BC or if I was taking a shot at NCAA's and it really wasn't I was just I look at a kid I, I look and see like the kid Finn Brown I was just talking about if he went if he went major junior and he tried to play major Junior. You know, he's basically 20 years old and his, and his dream's done, but he's a big, awkward kid who's grown into himself. You know, he makes the right decision. He goes, he plays in the OJ. Has a great, great line mate. He's playing with Ryan Alexander, who's arguably the best kid in the OJ. Right now, he's going to Arizona State. He should get drafted this year. You know, he plays with him, has a good experience, gets his confidence, gets his feet under him. You can see over the course of the year that the Browns skating and everything had improved. You know, so for, for Brown was the right decision to play, you know, tier two up in Canada or tier two, whatever, tier one, whatever you want to call it and keep his college eligibility. So he can go to RPI now and he'll realistically turn pro at 24, 25. is an entirely different person than he was when he was 16, making the decision to play a major junior. You yeah. know, it's realistically, I, I'm looking at it from just a, where, where the player is himself and, and nothing else. There's no knock on a school. There's no knock on, on anyone or there's, I understand why a kid would do it. I understand why, you know, why they wouldn't do it, but it's for Reynolds. It seemed to me that it just made sense that he would be going to the mayor. He wasn't in Quebec city. He wasn't anything. He was going back to the Maritimes he was going to be in St. John easy for his family. And the video we posted a couple of days ago, he's got two older brothers, you know, all the, all that kind of stuff to me, it just made sense.
1: Yeah. So on a, on a draft day, yep. do you spend time monitoring the picks or are you already moved on to what's next?
3: So this is the this is the first year the neutral zone has done the NHL page. Okay. So because we wanted to wait until we had the four years of of notes and evaluations on kids. So did I did I track the draft in the past? Oh yeah, like I definitely did, and I'd see where kids are, and I'd be like, oh, that kid was a shock, shocker. Oh, that kid's a value pick there, that type of thing. But um, you know, this year, like I watch you, I watch the USHL draft. I watch the phase one, the phase two. I literally watch them roll by, and as soon as the name comes up, I see where we've got them. We did. You know, we've, Neutral Zone has done rankings for the 99s as the year ends for those junior kids have aged out to see who, who's still left. Maybe college, colleges will look and say like, oh, I want this kid or we've had, you know, a couple kids that came in our top 25. Of now, you know, we had a D-man last week, not we had, but a kid that we had. We were kind of surprised he hadn't committed. He's going to Merrimack now, you know, just that kind of stuff. But then with with the phase one draft, it's all the 2004s. So those kids all just got the top kids got invited to the national team, the NTDP. And the rest of the 04s, we know really well. My son's in 04, he plays. So I know the 04 group really, really well. Um, I've seen those kids play for years, essentially since they were squirts. So you can see, again, how kids are trending and how, how they're not. Um, so the phase one draft is the 04s. Know all those names. Just interested to see how they go, where we have them evaluated, where the teams have them evaluated. And then the phase two draft, it's kind of a crapshoot because it's 00s to 04s and you never really know. So it's it's really entertaining to me because there's some damn good kids who don't get selected. And you you know, why, my, why might that be, who the hell knows? And then there's some kids that are, are projects that, that get selected. So it's, you know, I, I mean, I love it. Like I watch it, I watched an all draft that just went on today, the supplemental draft, which is, you know, they've never had it before, but to me, I'm watching it and I really don't know what any of the teams are thinking because they've never had one before, but it was, Some teams went out of prep school. Some kids went heavy out of USHL kids that might not be in the USHL next year. You know, it's a like I love watching it. Tomorrow, the all the null teams get another tender, so I'll watch that to see who they sign. You know, and the amount of the amount of hockey I watch is is disturbing, but it's you know it's that's what I like doing. So
1: (laughs) it's fun. Were there any surprises to you in the USHL draft? Any any for and against?
3: Um, no. I mean, it's. Total who, like I was, I was surprised. I mean, just l- local kids here that I was surprised that a kid, Michael Callow went in the 10th round of Muskegon. He's a big, tall kid. Um, you know, the perception of the kids from the Northeast is when you draft them in the phase one draft is that they're playing a prep school and they're not going to come out to play. So yeah, there's a couple kids that went early that are North that are from the Northeast that, you know, they, I'm sure that they talked to the teams and said they were going out yet. Kid Michael Stenberg, who I think he went fourth or fifth overall, but to Des Moines, um, I'm sure that he he had probably talked to a couple of teams and said that he was willing to come out probably not this year. Cause I think he's, there's probably too young as an O four. four, but you know, in the spring would come out for games, that type of thing, or kid Ryan Healy who plays for Boston advantage. Uh, he's played there his whole life. Um, once that, once that program gets to U 16 or U 16 ages out, then he needs a place to place to play. So he's, he's probably going to head out next year, but you get a kid like Callow, who's he's a big tall uh, kid still growing into himself. He's like, 6'2 or 6'3, probably 170 pounds right now. So he's a project to get out there, but Muskegon, you know, takes a chance with their weight on him for a couple of years to get out there. Um, and then in the, in the phase two, there's just a kid, There's another kid named Philip Tresca who's a Boston kid. Uh, he's been on intros, uh, NHL Central Scouting's list. He wasn't selected. And, you know, you, you start talking to people and you try to figure out why wouldn't that kid be selected? He's a stud. He's been to national camp. He's played in international tournaments. What would it be? He's committed to go to. Uh, he's going to Yale, but he's he's going out to play in the BCHL. And from talking to different teams and different scouts in the USHL, the the perception was that he wasn't going to come, and they're not going to waste a late round pick on a kid that when they need a third or a fourth line guy that's going to be killing penalties and doing all the ugly crap. And Philip doesn't doesn't need to do it. He's a he's a really talented kid. So, you know, when you talk to different different teams, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, but who? I mean, it's it's a it's it's a Midwest based draft because, you know, the U18 level in the in the Midwest is really kind of underscouted. It's not as U16 is the most heavily scouted by far in, in anywhere. So it's it's interesting to see where those kids end up. Like you'll see kids out of Wisconsin at the U18 level it really falls off. So those kids are looking to play in the USHL and be be affiliated, and maybe they end up in the null, They end up in you know the next null draft, at not the supplemental but the regular. But you know, right. it's just a there's so much random stuff that goes on. It's not just like the NHL draft where you're taking the best kid that's available right then, or who, you know, to fill a need, you know, you're taking a kid who might, or you're taking the kid who's good, who's who's going to need a place to play versus a kid who might be better, but, you know, he's set to stay with, you know, whoever you want, whoever it's going to be you know, whatever. It's just, it's, I just, I think it's, I find it really interesting. I have no idea if other people do, but to me, it's, it's awesome. And then I always try to track back and figure out why the hell so-and-so went here or there and that kind of stuff.
0: Sure. Sure. Now with you doing a lot of the NHL draft side with neutral zone, neutral zone. Yep. um, Do you, do you, do you believe it looks like a deep draft this year?
3: I think you've got some real studs in like the top 10 or 12. Um, I think there's some European guys that are going to go higher than, uh, the general perception is just, uh, you know, the the U-18, the world championships didn't happen this year. It was supposed to be in Plymouth in Michigan. And with that, with everything being canceled, I think there's some kids that teams were waiting on to see. But uh, there's, a, there's a couple Swedish kids and a Finnish kid that I think will go high. Um, Jake Sanderson is, is a U.S. defenseman who's captain of the U-18 team. The kid is a stud. I think he's, I think he'll be a top pairing guy in the NHL. He's going to go to North Dakota. Um and then from there, what I've really tried to do with, with the neutral zone is, you know, the top couple, top couple guys, top couple rounds. It's pretty easy to differentiate between those guys or say hey, these guys are better than the rest. So I, I've spent a ton of time watching the kids who would fall into the fifth, sixth, seventh round, and trying to get to know what they're like and watching their watching their trajectory, watching how they work, watching who they've been on lines with. But you can go back and you watch all these games and everything. It's all online. And then just try to figure out a kid who, you know, who's gonna be who's a big kid that's asleep or who's a small kid that can get punched in the mouth and keep playing and not worry about it. You know, all, all that kind of stuff. There's Jackson the Ty and Dylan Jackson play for Dubuque, they're undersized kids, they're going to Northeastern, they're from Toronto or outside of Toronto, whatever. But they they're small kids. They played it. with they played with a mask the whole time they've been in the USHL. You know, they play really hard. To me, they've got the skill level to get drafted. I think they prob- I think I don't know if they will or they won't. But by wearing a mask the entire time, you know, what's it going to be like when they turn pro and all of a sudden they're getting a stick in the mouth? You know, it's a, it's real interesting when you go to your first training camp or a kid comes to the first training camp and he gets punched in the mouth and you can see right away if it's something he hates. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> nobody likes it, but, you know, some people just really hate it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, you know with, it, what, with, go ahead,
1: Jay. I was going to say, isn't it Mike Tyson who said everybody's got an attitude until they get punched in the mouth?
3: Yeah, and it's true. I wasn't even thinking about that, but it's true. Like, you, you can tell all of a sudden, you know, in training camp, your teeth, you get hit in the mouth and your teeth go into your lips and all of a sudden you get these really weird canker sores. And it's, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but you can, you can tell who, who all of a sudden is gun shy from it. You know, the face wash and the stinky mitts and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's just a little bit different.
0: You know, you have to feel, you have to feel for some of those kids that might've been on the bubble uh, this year that they were oh, yeah. really looking for that tournament in, uh, in Plymouth and, you know, with the Olympics and all that. You know, what? what how do you think the uncertainty of the times right now are, is going to affect the, the way the draft goes?
3: Um, I don't know. I mean, if I was running a team, I would take the best available kids. I mean, it's, I guess I would just do the same thing anyways. I would take the best available guys. And I would believe in my scouting staff and the guys that I've got, they've, they've been around, they've been traveling. They they see guys all year. They've seen guys for the last couple of years. There's a few NHL teams that have um, guys that are just out there to scout the, the previous year. So they were guys that would have watched the O2 group only last year and focused on those guys. But I think you just have to have a good staff and have faith in them and know that what, what they're, what they're doing. I, th- I think what is, what is really going to be an impact is the, uh, the college free agents or the re- free agents that are coming out of major junior that can sign um, because those those guys are, uh, are going to get an opportunity. And, you know, the, anyone getting drafted this year, with the exception of the top, you know, maybe five, six guys in this year's draft really, really realistically won't play next year, but there's going to be some college free agents that can come out and they can play.
1: So when you're preparing for this year's draft, how do you allot your time? Like do you spend more time watching major junior prep? In the states, or maybe the OHL, how do you, how do you decide what takes precedent, where you have to be, or or what you have to do? Um,
3: like I, I really tr- I trust the guys that we have in Ontario and Western Canada for the WHL and the OHL. They they're guys that have run organizations and and they've played, so I I trust what they do. So OHL wise, I didn't spend as much time on the OHL as a, as I as others. And that's just because the the two guys that we have that are working in Ontario, uh, Marla Mayer and Paul Hagan, I think that they're great. I think they, uh, they see, th- they they see things differently. They see things differently than I do, but they're the way they break it down. Um, it, it makes sense. And when we, we get reports, it, it makes sense that why a kid will progress and why a kid won't because they've been watching the OHL for so long that they, they know. And then out West, we, we've got the same thing, guys that either played or, uh, you know, or managing the WHL, and then if it if it's need be, the WHL is different because the travel's so long on the bus that there's guys that I played with that are out there that I can call and ask and be like, hey, what's so and so like? Or you know, there's guys that are in management or coaching and like, hey, I think this kid is this, and they could be like, well, no, I think you saw him at the end of a three and three where he spent you know 47 hours on the bus in the previous two nights. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit different. And be like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, they wasn't thinking about the travel.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, You know, I watch. I know that I know the players in the USHL really well because we've been watching them for so long you know neutral zone started it was really based in new england and then we got minnesota guys uh midwest so i know i know the guys in the ushl really well um you know so i spent a lot of time watching college hockey and watching uh watching USHL as the year went on and i also i also think that you're going to see a, a change here and a trend will start going that you'll, you'll see guys who are in their second or third year of eligibility in the USHL getting drafted because they're starting to mature and they're starting to find themselves. In major junior, there's a lot of guys that are row twos that are the key players on that team. Um, You know, just be major juniors, they they get, it works better for them when they have draft picks. And in the USHL, they want the kids going to play college. So you're going to have some 20 year olds that are, that have been the focused and have really improved and you know, an NHL team knows they can draft them and they can still hide them away for two years and watch them develop and get stronger and they could come out and, and be a horse. You know, there's a kid named Aiden McDonough who grew up playing here. He was playing in uh, in Cedar Rapids, I think, and he he ripped it up. And now, he, you know, he's a late-round pick. He was a seventh-rounder last year by Vancouver, and he goes into Northeastern this year and it's just a stud scoring goals. And I think you're going to start seeing more guys that are late-rounders coming out of the USHL because you don't have to put them on contracts right away as opposed to guys in major junior that you'd have to sign.
1: How much of the scouting is analytical as opposed to, I guess, a visual feel and sight of a player's habits?
3: Um, or is it a mix? It, for me, it's a mix. You know, like I, when I watch, I, I, I start watching. You know, right away, you just watch their feet and watch how they move. Um, that's just by how they're how they're wheeling around. But to me, the most important thing is is a kid's brain. And then if <laughs> I if I see something where he's it, make, it doesn't make any sense to me what they're doing. And then I just start watching to see if that's how they're being coached to forecheck, if that's, you know, because it's different in the NHL versus juniors where, you know, you you, you want to apply pressure immediately all over the place. It seems like in juniors, because, you know, guys are going to turn it over or you guys are going to panic. So they, they pressure at the lines. And then you, for me, I'll just watch to see, are they being coached to, to pressure there? Are they being coached or is he just rogue and, and totally off the wall and have no idea what's going on. Um, but then through neutral zone, we have a whole analytics department that does all sorts of breakdowns and all that kind of stuff. So when it all comes together, and you know, a lot of the reports that I write that are published is, is what I'm feeling at the time or what I'm feeling after watching a month or two months worth of games or or a weekend of games, that type of thing. But then, like we have internal internal notes about all the analytics, about where they've come from, what they're doing, all all that kind of stuff. But I, I mean, I think it's I think it's valuable to have both. Um, for me, I, I watch if I'm coaching it as a teammate, what 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 would I think? You know, like there's a kid I watched yesterday and it and it was obviously a game on tape. He's playing in the OHL, his team's up by a goal and he takes a he takes a stupid mm-hmm. penalty and you're like, ah, right, whatever, man, you let it slide and then they're still up by a goal and about three minutes later he takes another stupid minor and you're like, All right. So then you know, I start going back and looking at the different games on tape when they're up by a goal late and seeing if it's a tendency and it turned into he's just a dumbass at the end of games. Right and <laughs> he just takes pot shots. You mm-hmm. know, that's a whole reason right there why he won't play. You know, So, do you do, do, do you put that on the
0: player one a half on the player, and or, or what about the coaching?
3: I think it's I think it's probably both. But he's also he's a big, strong kid, and he's probably gotten away with it for his whole life. Right. He's dominating. He's dominating where he's been. Um, you know, so I understand why why he's playing, but I also know that he's done it now six times that I've seen over the course of you know two months. Right. It seems to be a tendency. If you if you do that in the NHL, you're gone. Like you can't. You can't be a, he's going to be a, he's going to be a role guy anyways. If you're a role guy who's taking stupid twos at, you know, in critical times, you're not going to last very long. Right. You know, you get, you probably won't even get warned once. Everyone will be like, what the, you know, (laughs) what the hell's going on? Yeah. I mean, you could
0: be, you could be doing that in the East coast league or the uh, HL, you know,
3: and it's just, you know, it's just something like that type of thing. I would, I would watch and I track and I've got notes and notebooks on, more than you can possibly imagine but
0: right hey so before we continue and, and roll at this i was thinking i want to go back a little bit to you the the difference between not liking getting punched in the face and hating getting punched in the face so <laughs> so here, here's a question i'm gonna ask everyone here would you rather take a fastball to the ribs by Ryan, randy ja- johnson a hit by ray lewis coming across the middle or punch in the face by mike tyson ian go ahead
3: Tyson right now, or like, you see his tapes now? Yeah, I, don't, I think I probably get. I probably want to get a fastball in the ribs. I don't no, care. Honestly.
0: I don't care if it's Tyson twenty years ago or Tyson now. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not taking Mike Tyson. Yeah. yeah. No. So you're going to go with the
3: fastball? Yep. Yeah. Love.
1: I'm going fastball because Ray Lewis will just put me into about sixty pieces. Let alone Mike Tyson would put me into <laughs> sixty pieces, and my ribs will heal.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, Danny. What about you? Uh, logically, fastball, but. To say you got punched in the face by Tyson, I mean that's one of the greatest stories ever, right there. Well, it, it would be. How good. about I, you? I'm I'm taking the fastball because if Mike Tyson punches me in the face, I won't have brains to talk about it. So I, I'd either be dead or I I would be unconscious for the rest of my life. So anyhow, I just was laughing about. It. I saw that on on uh, Twitter the other day when you're talking about getting punched. Not, not liking or hating it. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, i to ask this question. It's a good question. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so neutral zone brings you on, uh, to partner with them and bringing your great knowledge about the NHL game and, and all yep. that, you know, intangibles and what it makes to, to be in the NHL. What are most players, what do they need to know as you as a scout is looking at them? Like, you know, you're, you guys do this for a living. This is what you do. What, what can you tell players to keep in mind when they're practicing and playing? We talked to, a uh, uh, Dan Watson, the head coach of Toledo Walleye, uh, yeah. yesterday. And he, he was talking about uh, they have Truthful Tuesdays. They, they show the tape every Tuesday and say, listen, this doesn't lie. Scouts are always looking. you know. Yeah. So what what advice would you give to players, even 06s, 05s, all the way up?
3: Well, I think uh, as a young kid and even playing pro NHL, I'll always work on your skills, whether it be on ice, off ice, whatever you can do, extra handle on the puck, handling the ball, working on your skating, your stride, single leg strength all that kind of stuff um i compete is big you want to see someone that competes you don't want to see someone who just 50 50 pucks you know you need to win your 50 50 pucks you can't lose them we understand that it happens but if you lose it you can't quit you can't have poor body language you have to you have to battle to get back you have to you know or if you know you just you have to compete um as they get older, you're going to look to see how how they're getting coached and if they're accepting coaching. How they're killing penalties to show their brains. If they work for their partner. If they work for outlets. Um, you know, little little things like game recognition and awareness. You know, if it's you're late in a shift and it's a two on two and you're coming up the ice, do you understand that you need to make a change? Do you understand that you need to do a, a soft chip? Uh, you know, or are you going to try to toe drag somebody and have a bad turnover that ends up putting the whole whole team in? You know, in a bad spot. Um, you know, I think the Truthful Tuesdays is great because the the tape doesn't lie. And there's times that you know I'll watch a USA USHL game live or a major junior game live, and I have my notes, and then I'll go back and I'll watch it on tape, and I won't look at my notes, and I'll it I'll just you know see what else I saw, and it's interesting because there's it's usually things line up with turnovers and and you know penalties a, a stick penalty you know, in a back check or a stick penalty, saving a goal, usually was a result of somebody messing up, you know, 20, 30 seconds earlier, whether it be a crappy dump or going, you know, going all and trying to feel trying to switch the puck off somebody, that kind of thing. So I think it's, it's important that you, uh, you know, as little kids in those sixes, you, you, you're starting to, you're starting to play team concept. You're starting to have things that really matter and starting to show game awareness. You're not just carrying the puck and going end to end. Um, but it's you know, watching the USHL or watching Major Junior, you're watching the kid's brain and see how he processes everything. You, you know, the, the awareness of a breakdown, does he cover for what's going on or does he just fly by everybody and you know, take himself out of position so there's two mistakes or is he able to buy time and understand angles and speeds and all that kind of stuff? Um,
0: what's, your, what's, your, what's your thoughts on like, okay, a player will make a mistake, go back to the bench. As a scout, do you watch that player as he goes back to the bench? How does he react to that? How does he react
3: to Oh, yeah. That I, let, yeah I watch how, how they respond to the coaching. If a coach gives him shit, do they understand that he's, you know, he's giving him shit because he has to, but it's really nothing personal? You know, I think for the most part, a coach is going gonna, is gonna to coach the kid and try to correct him and, and help him. And if the kid's positive and understand what's going on, you know, that's great. But, you know, you, you can tell if a kid has an absolute blunder and he goes back to the bench and the coach doesn't talk to him, you can tell that the coach thinks he's a – a, a, you know, a lost cause at that point, he's probably done. The coach is probably looking for somebody else for him. Right. Uh, I definitely watch to see how they interact with their line mates, how they interact with the opposition. You know, I have, I have no issues and actually kind of like when guys are abrasive and annoying to the other team. I think it's it's a role that can be filled. Um, you know, but are you, are you so stupid that you're taking penalties all the time without sucking anybody else off with you? Uh, I watch how, how guys interact with the with the officials. You know, are they just total DBs of the officials? or they treat them with respect? I understand that you're gonna have tempers are gonna flare and you're gonna bit pissed but do you take it too far do you you know you turn it into something personal rather than it wasn't just damn icing that you beat the guy to you know that kind of thing um little things like i watch i watch if you're on a line rushing a guy as goes offside i watch to see who's a baby and pouts or slams, slams a stick you know that that kind of stuff um you know if they're pissed off their line mates or they pissed off they didn't get the pass or you know just how they their body language I was telling somebody. I was telling this last week to somebody. um, Like I, I, I'll go early and I'll sit in the parking lot and I'll watch how a team warms up and I'll watch how the players interact with each other and I'll watch who, if there's anyone that kind of big times the game and doesn't interact with their teammates. I understand a goalie. A goalie's on his own all the time. They can do whatever they want really on game days. I don't really care. But if they're playing sewer ball or they're doing whatever, and they you get somebody who's big time in it. You know, That's something I'll pay attention to. I'll make a note so I can watch during a game and see what they're like with their teammates there. Maybe they're focused, maybe they're just a total a-hole, who knows. And then I'll definitely watch how uh, younger kids, especially the 06s and high school kids that come out and how they treat their parents. And you'll be surprised at how many college coaches actually ask how kids treat their parents because if they come out and they're DVs to their parents, odds are when they get on campus, they're going to be a headache and they don't want to deal with it. So it's all that that kind of stuff. you know, those those are the notes that I don't write about that you don't you don't see. <laughs> you yeah, but
0: they're... but it's 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 such a good point though, Ian. That that young kids, and I know they're young kids. I mean, the three of us on here, we coach high school here in Cleveland. But it's hard for these kids to understand that their actions off the ice are almost just as important as their actions on the oh, ice, without a doubt. And especially when when people are watching them. Yeah. Um, a lot of and and you hopefully you'd agree with the statement. And I think you will. If you have a kid who's super talented, super skill set. But it's a total idiot on and off the ice. You you take someone who doesn't have the skill set but willing to work hard and and is not an idiot.
3: Yeah, all day. You do that all day. And then the thing I do when I when I go to games, like I I wear hoodies and I wear a baseball hat and I usually stand on the Zamboni door so I look like I, I work at the rink because then parents don't want to talk to me. You know, no one wants to talk to the Zamboni guy. They think whatever you just outed
0: but yourself it, here you just outed yourself now you got to come yeah, up with it I promise you now. they won't
3: know I put a hoodie on and I go <laughs> stand in the corner I stand with my head right on the glass but it's so you stand like that and then you're in the lobby or wherever and people you know I, I usually don't have a notebook I usually I'm sitting there like I, it, when guys come in and they have a notebook and they're all dressed up and they look pretty and they look good I think it's great but then you know you're not really getting the you know the true the fact of what a kid is where if I sit there and I have a hoodie and I look I've got a shovel in my hands you know I watch the game I know what I'm watching for as soon as the period ends I call I pick up my phone and I just turn around I usually walk into the Zamboni little area there and I put the notes into my phone right then you know so it's you know there's I know people have seen me do it and it's but it's you know most of the time I sit there and I don't watch I watch I don't like really taking notes while the game's going on because there's so much other stuff I want to watch and see. But as soon as the period ends, I go and I fill it up in my phone with exactly what's going on, and I have a little shorthand that I can bang it out really quickly. But if, if I'm wearing that hoodie and, you know, I've got boots on that are grimy and I've got jeans and a hoodie that's whatever, and I'm wearing a vest and I'm standing in the lobby afterwards, you know, most kids don't come in and think that I'm a guy that is having Division One college coaches call and say, hey, what do you think of this kid? I know you were just at such and such game. What do you think? Hi, uh, is this or this? Well, how do you treat his mom? Uh, you know, <laughs> not really what you want to see, but I'm sitting there and I'm all dressed up. He's going to come out and she's with a notebook. He's going to be on his best behavior right. or or she's going to be on her best behavior. And it's, you know, it's uh, my wife always goes crazy because she tells me I look like I'm homeless when I go to the rink, but I do it for a reason. <laughs> so.
1: Well, when when you're working with your skills development group, the I am skills, yeah. what aspects in general, I guess, do most players seem to be lacking that you see? Maybe, maybe 10 years ago, guys were harder on the puck than they are now. Um, as the game evolves, it gets faster. There's still fundamentals that need to be there. Do you see anything that's just generally lacking?
3: Um, I don't know if it's generally lacking. I think right now there's such an emphasis on skills in the in the one-on-one where guys come up the ice and they make moves with tires or tennis balls, whatever whatever's on the ice. I think players overhandle the, over handle the puck now and don't don't pass enough. So I think in, in practices, in skill sessions, there should be more of a focus on passing. And right going hand-in-hand hand with that is the player's first touch. Does he handle the pass smoothly? Does it hit his stick and bounce? Can he handle a crappy pass that comes at him bobbling? Can he settle it quickly? Does he need to stick handle and dust it off a bunch of times before he moves it? Um, you know, that kind of thing. Can he kick one out of his feet while he's going full speed? Can he pull one out of an awkward angle, you know, reaching back one hand and pull it up? Um, I think that's one of the biggest things when, when guys get to the NHL, like you can give a guy a crappy pass. You know, you are putting it in the area you knowing he's gonna handle and be able to do something with it. So it's it doesn't have to I mean, you're making tape to day plays. Like if you've got a split second, you're making a tape to day pass, there's no doubt about that. Or if you have, you know, two feet in the lane, you can put it through the two feet. But if you're in trouble and you're just getting into an area, you know that you can throw a chunky one and whoever you're throwing it to is gonna be able to handle it with one hand on his backhand and pull it up and make a play right away. Um I would just, I would emphasize with anyone working on that first touch, whatever puck comes to you, whatever the ball is, and you can get it to settle down without stick handling it. Um, you know, because once you start playing to higher levels, that stick handle, the, those seams close up really quickly, really, really quickly. So if you can just settle it and, you know, if you watch the most skilled guys right now, you know, a puck hits their stick, they're not dusting it off a bunch of times before they make a play. It hits their stick and their hands are still, their, their head might be moving around and their hands might be moving but they're not going over the puck. They're just cupping it and changing the angle of what they have to do. You know, they're not overhandling it. It's a, uh, it's uh, that first touch is really important.
0: Yeah. I, I think you're, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you kind of chuckling in my own head going, how many times have you probably heard the coaches, you yourself, us as coaches said, why are you taking that extra stick handle? Why, what, why do we yep. have to take that extra? I mean, you mentioned about the toe drag earlier. There's not many kids that can, can perfect the toe drag at, at a high speed. You know, but everyone thinks they can. Right. It's like yeah. me. I think, I think I can shoot my age, you know, uh, in golf, which I can't, yeah. but I, you know, and I, I accept the fact that I can't. <laughs> right. But um, you know, you, you've done, you've done pretty much all levels of hockey when it comes to playing, coaching, now evaluating uh, the game has changed, obviously uh, you know, over the past years uh, since you've been uh, playing and coaching. Uh, what do you think is, what do you think has been, has it changed for the better? And what has changed for the worse in the game of hockey? Uh,
3: I think it's I think it's changed for the better all around. I think it's faster. Um, I think it's more skilled. Uh, but I, I definitely think it's better. I wish that this is gonna this is gonna sound ridiculous, but I wish that there's I wish they got rid of half shields and I wish they got rid of hard cap shoulder pads. Uh, I don't think there's. Even with the headshots and all that, I don't think there's as much respect. And even if someone does a glancing blow with a hard cap shoulder pad, you can knock somebody out. It's essentially hitting a helmet right into a kid's chin. Um, and then in that, it, this is going to be even more ridiculous. I wish they would get rid of the instigator because I think it would just clean it up and get rid of some of the nonsense. Yeah. Um, but in general, I think the game, since the 4 lockout, I think it's so much better, so much faster. Um, you know, It's weird to think that I played with the red line for so long and now they don't have it. You know, it was, it was such a weapon. If you, once you understood how to use the, the stretch pass through the red line or not the red line, and you know touch icings, it was such a weapon to have to be able to do that. Um, you know, now I think it's great with the with the way it's open and the in the in the game flows and the regrouping. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You know, in three on three in the NHL, the guys pull it out all the time to to make the changes and regroup on a line rush. And I'm waiting for a team to start doing that five on five when they in the offensive zone that they just yeah. keep bringing it back to the far blue line and Attacking with speed, like the uh, you know the Russians used to do way back when in the in the eighties. But right. it's I th- I think it's great. Like I really I really like watching it. When I first retired, um, really the only the NHL was honestly the only thing that made sense to me because it was so controlled and I always knew where everybody was supposed to be. And if I went and watched a college game, it just seemed like it was chaos. And you know, never mind junior or prep school. And now I watch. Um, I almost I almost find the NHL to be so predictable that you know where everybody is all the time that it's almost not as entertaining like I I love watching U16s because you still get the kids who try to go coast to coast even though it's not what you want as a coach and not what you really like but you still get the kids trying to make the ridiculous plays yeah. you know and then the crowd and the parents going nuts over it I I still find that really entertaining or I find it more entertaining but uh in general I think it's it's a much better game now
0: you know your your presence with neutral zone is is um pretty large on the east coast obviously yeah uh where where else do you guys span out to here in the united states
3: um well it's like right going into the coronavirus like we were really starting to make some headway like we had we had a huge spring lined up with tournaments and showcases we were going to really put some emphasis on our women's side you know not the college but the the kids the girls that were trying to play in division one and so uh the presence is really everywhere we we had 70, 70 scouts that were working for us we, the, you know primarily part-time guys that were retired NCAA coaches or junior coaches that were like being back in the rink and seeing their buddies and watching a game and you know evaluating guys it was it was really good so we're you know we started in the northeast in New England and we have a good good foothold here um you know and We go in the summer, we go to the national camps, we go to all the national championships, you know, all that kind of stuff. We really don't have much of a presence in college hockey. Uh, And I don't know if we, I don't know if we ever really will, with the exception of maybe me watching games for, you know, um, for college free agents. But, uh, you know, we, we, we're pretty much everywhere. You name it. We've got, we had guys at games and tournaments. So it's, we we try to cover everyone. We try to do it honestly. We try not to BS and, you know, say what's going on. Um, You know, just, change somebody's rating just because they're a good guy or whatever we try to be honest like no matter what I no matter what anyone thinks about my kid like I love my son I think he's great but I can't evaluate him and make his make him all of a sudden a four and a half you know he is what he is like it's I don't kids that I've coached since they were squirts like the Stenberg kid that went fourth and to fourth or fifth to Des Moines in the USHL draft I can't evaluate him. Like I have my feelings on him. Like I've I've known the kid since he was ten years old, and I've I've since he was little, I've thought that he was going to play in the NHL just because he has like he that's a kid who likes getting punched in the mouth. Like he does not care. You know, like <laughs> he doesn't hate it. He doesn't hate it. He doesn't hate it at all. He actually <laughs> enjoys it and it makes him go. Um, but I'm not allowed to evaluate him. I'm not allowed to make make a comment on him. Or I mean, I can make comments on him, but I'm I'm not writing full reports on him. I'm not doing that kind of thing. I can go to a game and we do like post game videos, and I can say oh, so-and-so was, this is it, because he had an impact on the game, but as far as a true evaluation and how it changes a star rating, like, I I really can't do that, so we have, you know, like I said, we have, you know, there's a kid that has eight reports out there, eight evaluations, or eight different tournaments, Uh, he gets graded on that individual tournament, or on that individual game, and then it all comes together, and we have, you know, we should have been having meetings pretty much right now where we try to restart everyone. We're going through right now and doing the rankings of the 99s and 2000s, 2001s. Ideally we would have been together to do it out and banged it out in about four or five days, but it's all, it's all cumulative of all the, all the guys all over that have seen them. And then we have internal notes that if you know, so-and-so like a buddy that's your buddies that are NHL guys, if they call and say, Hey, what do you think here? You know, I've got a whole internal, internal notes on other, you know, other things that are, you know, might, might pertain more to pro, pro hockey versus just being out there to. Right. Everyone. Yeah. The, the reason mean, why I asked
0: that was, I just want to like kids, you know, I know the neutral zones, like I said, people, I don't want to say associated with the Northeast, but you know, people just in in our state, kids need to know, yeah. Hey, man, there's people going to be in the stands. There might be somebody oh, at, yeah. the, at the Zamboni door with a hat on and a hoodie. Yeah.
3: You know? Oh, without a doubt. So, yeah. I mean, we have, we have guys all over. Yeah.
0: That's good. Hey, I just, before we wrap it up and and again, we definitely appreciate your time and, and and talking a little bit about uh, the role of neutral zone in your past and all that, which is good. Um, I have two daughters. I have a high school daughter and I have a a sixth grader and and there's a lot of sidewalk chalk going on in my life uh, in the past. And, and can you, can you tell the story about when you were traded with the sidewalk chalk?
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We were, uh, it was a trading deadline in 2003 it's uh the deadline was at three o'clock in the afternoon and I had thought that I was getting traded that day. I'd heard rumors I was going to Saint Louis and had rumors of uh different teams. Three o'clock came and went and there was, you know, no phone call. So I was our uh my oldest at that point was uh three years old and we're out in the driveway, we were playing hopscotch and I got a phone call from Craig Patrick who was the GM. In uh, in Pittsburgh, he told me they traded me to Boston and asked me if I wanted OC Michael O'Connell's phone number, who was the GM in Boston. And I said, yeah. And I, all I had was chalk, so I literally wrote a <laughs> uh, phone number down in uh, in chalk on the driveway and I, and called <laughs> called him. Like I honestly thought when when Craig Patrick was calling me, I thought he was asking me to go to the airport to pick somebody up that we had, that the Penguins had just traded for. You know, I got OC's number written and I called OC and he tells me I've got a flight in two hours and next thing you know, I'm landing at Logan at like ten o'clock at night. Oh, thank God God it didn't rain real quick. You would have lost an. number. it would have been been absolutely screwed.
0: Forget the hopscotch game. Yeah. Well, hey, Ian, we appreciate you taking the time and talking with us. And, uh, um, you know, maybe I'd like to catch up with you after this coronavirus is all over and, you know, kind of. Maybe do this a couple times a year to see where the guy, you know, where you got guys and all yeah. that good stuff.
3: You know? I think one of the things that for for neutral zone, like even though we're you know heavy in, heavy in the Northeast, like the guys that we have that are scouts are not all guys that played in the NHL. They're guys. The kid Brian Mur- or the guy Brian Murphy was the head coach of Tufts for 20 years, so it's a Division three NESCAC school, you know. So he he's really good and he understands that area. We've got guys that have been watching U14 level forever for getting kids and trying to figure out the prep schools or you know now there's the academies that are big. So it's not all we don't just evaluate guys that are trying to get to the NHL or, you know, we, right. we've got a whole breakdown of where they all are going from. So it's like, you just said, you could be watching anything. Like we were just about to get big into the mid Atlantic cause team Maryland. And those guys are doing well and the, the black bears and all that. So we could, we could be down there and, and just really, and truly like we're watching all sorts of stuff and we really try not to, uh, trying not to look so pretty while we're at the rinks. Yeah, That's the only right. way to put it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, stay safe out there. You and your family, stay safe. It was, yeah, it was you awesome catching up with you. Um, and, uh, you know, thanks again. Appreciate it, Ian. Thank
3: you very much. Thanks, guys. Well, we
0: want to thank uh, Ian Moran from Neutral Zone coming on. It was great to hear his insight on the scouting side of it. And not only just the scouting side for NHL, but college, USHL, North American League. He, he's He's going all the way down to uh, the '05s, uh, looking at those kids. And I'm sure we will be looking at the '06s next year uh, and where they would fit. And he's talking about 70 scouts, talking about the, the women's game, kind of a really good deal that he, that, that neutral zone is putting together for our hockey players uh, to kind of, you know, give uh, the college coaches, the major junior A coaches, the pro coach, uh, scouts, a better idea of who's out there.
1: One thing that I know I've heard coaches say, I know we've said it, you never know who's watching you. Your habits matter on ice, off ice. As you heard him say, I mean, he breaks it all down and everything down to how does he treat his parents? How does a player treat their parents when they come out of the dressing room? It, it's it was a great interview that I think people need to listen to um, in this day and age, with everyone having advisors and and basically those are those are uh, uh, agents and and. Where's the next best place to play, and where's this to play, and where can he's gonna go there? they're gonna go there, listen to what they're looking for, understand what is being sought after and Ian was a fantastic guest to pass along knowledge that the general public doesn't know a lot of this I mean heck, we didn't know half of that, so yeah, it, was, it, was, it was it was cool
0: yeah it was it was nice to hear him talk, and I agree with you, jay about uh you know how should uh, kids walk into a rink? Who do they really want to make it to the next level? Do they want to try to catch the the eye of a scout? Um, and and what they how they need to be on the ice and off the ice as well. And I think that's that's tremendous advice from him. I also think it was tremendous advice that he would not take a punch from Mike Tyson. Uh, you know, uh, Dan, I, know, I think, I think Dan's a little crazy for, for doing that, but Hey, it is what it is. To whatever,
1: whatever for the story. We're just trying to make content yeah, right. here. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I really hope that Mike Tyson is not listening for your case because if he is, and he wants to go through this for charity reasons, good luck.
1: I'm giving your address too for that. Hey, the other thing that he, that Ian brought up uh, that was, it was good to hear was how a player treats his teammates. And his family. Yeah, and his family. So he could, you know, did he go off sides? Did Did a guy go off sides on him? Did he not receive a pass? How are you acting? Everything is watched, man. What do they say? Big brother's watching? Well, you want to play hockey, somebody's watching.
0: Well, that's a wrap on episode six. We'd like to thank our guests, Toledo Walleye head coach Dan Watson and Ian Moran of the Neutral Zone NHL Scouting for hanging out with us today. We'll be back next week as we sit down with legendary high school coach and friend of on-air Bill Beard. Also, we get a chance to talk to recent draft pick of the Buffalo Sabres and Walsh Jesuit alum, Dawson DiPietro. So make sure you tune in. You can find the on-air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes, archives, as well as lists of future guests. You can also subscribe to on-air on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Continue to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey
2: Digest Podcast. Mr. Worldwide to Infinity, you know the roof on fire. We go boogie, oogie, oogie, jiggle, wiggle, and dance. Like the roof on fire. We go drink drinks and take shots until we fall out. Like the roof on fire. Now baby, get my booty naked, take off all your clothes and light the roof on fire. Tell them, tell them, baby, 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 baby. I'm on fire. I tell them, baby, 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 baby. I'm a fireball. Thank you